Hello, I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. Colin, thank you for your last show, the Colin Show, Into the Pit. I thought that was great. And you bring up some interesting points of technology. I, I realize paper white Kindles aren't new technology, but <laughs> I, I, I should probably look into that, and I should probably look into the tablets where you can write with the with a pen to simulate taking manual notes. Um, I'm such a Luddite. I don't know if I will or not, but who knows. And, yeah, I'll, I'll get some pictures of my GM notebook up to you at some point. So, anyhow, keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. In the 18th century, the Industrial Revolution was one of several revolutions that overturned society. Mechanical creatures intruded into farms and homes, but still this invasion had no name. Finally, in 1802, Johann Beckmann, an economics professor at Göttingen University in Germany, gave this ascending force its name. Beckman argued that the rapid spread and increasing importance of the useful arts demanded that we teach them in a systemic order. He addressed the technique of architecture, the technique of chemistry, metalwork, masonry and manufacturing, and for the first time he claimed these spheres of knowledge were interconnected. He synthesised them into a unified curriculum and wrote a textbook titled Guide to Technology. Resurrecting that forgotten Greek word. He hoped his outline would become the first course in the subject. It did that and more. It also gave a name to what we do. Once named, we could now see it. Having seen it, we wondered how anyone could not have seen it. Beckman's achievement was more than simply christening the unseen. He was among the first to recognise that our creations were not just a collection of random inventions and good ideas. The whole of technology had remained imperceptible to us for so long because we were distracted by its masquerade of rarefied personal genius. Once Beckman lowered the mask, our arts and artefacts could be seen as interdependent components woven into a coherent impersonal unity. Each new invention requires the viability of previous inventions to keep going. There is no communication between machines without extruded copper nerves of electricity. There is no electricity without mining veins of coal or uranium, or damming rivers or even mining precious metals to make solar panels. There is no metabolism of factories without the circulation of vehicles. No hammers without saws to cut the handles, no handles without hammers to pound the saw blades. This global scale, circular, interconnected network of systems, subsystems, machines, pipes, roads, wires, conveyor belts, automobiles, servers and routers, codes, calculators, sensors, archives, activators, collective memory and power generators. This whole grand contraption of interrelated and interdependent pieces forms a single system. When scientists began to investigate how this system functioned, they soon noticed something unusual. Large systems of technology often behave like a very primitive organism. Networks, especially electronic networks, exhibit near biological behaviour. And that reading was an excerpt taken from What Technology Wants by Kevin Kelly, published in 2011. It's a book that talks about the place of technology in the universe. And I haven't finished it yet, but so far I'm finding it a most interesting read and thought that was kind of pertinent when 
thinking about role-playing games and Jason's comments and uh, the sometimes awkward relationship we as players oftentimes have with technology at the table, especially some of us older players. The Luddites were a secret oath-based organisation of English textile workers in the 19th century, a radical faction which destroyed textile machinery. The group are believed to have taken their name from Ned Ludd, a legendary weaver supposedly from Ansi near Leicestershire. They protested against manufacturers who used machines in what they called a fraudulent and deceitful manner to get around standard labour practices. Luddites feared that the time spent learning the skills of their craft would go to waste as machines would replace their role in the industry. Many Luddites were owners of workshops that had closed because factories could sell the same products for less. But when workshop owners set out to find a job at a factory, it was very hard to find one because producing things in factories required fewer workers than producing them same things in a workshop. This left many people unemployed and angry. Big thanks then to Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast for giving me a little bit of inspiration, sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole with regards to technology. It's something I, I've got to come to terms with on a day-to-day basis. And I, I'm doing some reading around that subject. Talking of reading, I've discovered this author, Ballard. Apparently a little bit contentious. Is it J.G. Ballard? Was it H.G.? No, it's definitely J.G. Ballard. Written loads of books. Real interesting character. And I just read... Uh, an ebook on my Kindle, Paperwhite. <laughs> um, High Rise, a dystopian novel. It's the descent into anarchy and social breakdown of a uh, a forty a forty floor high rise in a Le Corbusier type of style. Two thousand plus apartments. Uh, I found it to be. Uh, quite captivating, a real page turner. It's it's kind of uncomfortable reading at times, but interesting. Um, I'm no book critic, book critic, but it it did capture my imagination, and I'm quite keen to read some more by this author. Like I say, he's got a a, a big back catalogue of work. Um, so yeah I'll keep you posted in the meantime talking of back catalogues I've been into my back catalogue and uh, I've got this call in from Arlen I was inspired after putting his call in last time and mentioning Arlen of Live from Pelham's Wasteland this time he's um, he's mentioning Beyond the Wall and now this is a game that if you are a true anchorite and you are listening to the likes of Joe Richter on Hindsightless. My old buddy Joe has been talking about uh, Beyond the Wall, crediting Spencer, uh, aka Free For All, for introducing him to the game. And I think it is a wonderful game. It's almost like a, a fantasy version of Kids on Bikes. Uh, I... There's just some great ideas 
in this game. It's prompted me, the talk of it has re-infused me into delving into my RPG collection, pulling this game, and I'm going to be looking at it again. I'm keen to hear what Joe says. I'm keen to hear if anybody else has picked up this game. And, yeah, let's, let's hype it up a little bit and hear what Arlen's got to say. Take it away, Arlen. Hey, Colin, it's Arlen. Uh, your episode on collaborative wilderness creation for the Perilous Wilds made me think of two different games, so I was going to um, tell you about those. The The first off is Beyond the Wall, which I don't know if I've talked to you about it before. It's an OSR-ish game, but one of the really cool things that they do is they have kind of... Um, Powered by the Apocalypse or Dungeon World style playbooks. And the playbooks are how you create your character. It's got a bunch of kind of interlocking random tables that also have a stage where the player characters collaboratively build the village that they're from. The assumption is that all the player characters are from one kind of small village in a larger fantasy world. And at every step along the character creation process, they add either a notable location or an NPC or something like that to fill out the village, create a bunch of kind of NPC plot hooks and all that sort of stuff. And I think that works really well, partly because my when we played, um, I played it with my family. And um, one of the big things was they got, you know, really attached to the NPCs that they had created. And um, for instance, when my sister who was playing the witch rolled that, um, or the witch's apprentice, she created the witch as one of her NPCs and then rolled on a random table that the the witch had died and she was, you know, distraught. She felt like, you know, she had lost her mentor essentially in character creation and that that was a real, you know, scar for her character. So um, it was really good. It was, it's a really good system. And then they've even got a um, beyond the wall. The first one is sort of designed for kind of small one shots in a small area, but they've got an expansion that is designed for collaborative world building on a larger scale where the player characters come up with basically rumors that they have heard. And then the dungeon master has a set of tables to determine kind of how true the rumor is and what it actually means and all of that sort of stuff. So it's a really good, um, I, I think it's Flatland Games maybe that publishes them. I think you can get most of the books in PDF for pay what you want or very cheap. So um, worth checking out really great content um, and uh, almost as good as the spike pit podcast in terms of content worth uh, consuming and all that sort of stuff. The other game I was going to mention is another kind of um, interesting game with some cool collaborative world building mechanics. And that is legacy life beyond uh, Legacy Life Among the Ruins has a um, sort of sub-game within that system, a sub-game that sort of uses the main game system called Free from the Yoke. And Free from the Yoke is this really interesting um, fantasy RPG where you play both kind of like an organization or, you know, like a town or a merchant's guild or something like that within this fantasy world, as well as a kind of individual character 
but your organization stays the same, but your individual character becomes a part of sort of the GM tapestry over time. So it's a really cool system. But one of the cool things about it is that as you play, there's a lot of collaborative world building stuff that is inherent to the playbook. So like if you choose to play as the, uh, the sort of merchants guild, you're responsible for drawing trade routes on the, um, the world map and stuff like that. So it has this really cool collaborative world building element that allows, allows for the players to be involved both with, with the kind of starting position of everything and for the way that the world changes over time. Cause that's one of the big sort of themes of the, excuse me, is themes of the game is change over time and the way that um, it's about kind of, working together to try to build a, a kingdom in the aftermath of a um, revolution against an empire, that sort of thing. So it's a really cool system, really great. Um, it uses a Powered by the Apocalypse uh, resolution mechanic, but Free from the Yoke is really cool. Also, um, I think it, I don't think it's uh, pay what you want on drive through, but it, it's like 10 bucks for the PDF or something like that. And I think that the, the hardcover version is on Amazon. So it's, it's a, a nice well-bound offset printing instead of a print on demand book. So anyway, two games that you should check out and um, I will talk to you soon. Here we go then. Another Boxing up, clearing the shelves down, and you may have heard me talk about The Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett, and I have gotten about 100 pages into this 1,000-odd page book, and nah, nah, life's too, <laughs> life's too short. Um, I, I just... <laughs> So I enjoyed the first hundred pages, but I've I've set it down and I I look at it and it's it's like massive. You could kill a you could kill a person with it, and I just can't get motivated to pick it up. So it's going in the box. Then I've got a couple of books here that have been kicking around for ages. A guy called BB wrote them some time back, and they're about these like little gnome characters that that live in the woods one's called the little gray men one called uh the other is called down the bright stream um they won the carnegie medal uh they they're atmospheric but i don't know where i'm at at the moment i just can't get enthusiastic maybe one day I'll pick them up again, but in the meantime, um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna move them on. So they're going in the box. Then I've got the Chronicles of Narnia, seven books in total. Um, my favourite is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It holds uh, a fond place in my heart, but. Uh, my kids never really took to these uh, and I had ideas of keeping them perhaps for future generations, perhaps my grandchildren, but I got, these are like a really cheap set 
that I've got. And um, I don't know, they're almost a little bit tacky. And, you know, if I ever want them, I'll buy them again. In the meantime, I can move them on. Perhaps someone else will enjoy them. I'm probably going to take some of these books into the school library, see what the librarian thinks, because they're in good condition. Then I've got two of these books I picked up by Madeline Hale, Table Fables 1 and Table Fables 2. Um, they're just random tables, and there's nothing wrong with them. They're fine. I like them, uh, and I've talked about them before. They're, they're, they're perfectly fine. I just don't use them. And if I can move them on, get a few quid for them, um, I'm sure they'll do somebody a good turn. They're just not in my workflow. So, you know, why why am I hanging on to them? So, Table Fable, sorry, one and two, you're going in the box. The Weird That Befell Drig Bolton. It's um, the Quite Gnome, a soft cover edition. And a, a fondness for this, I have. I played it with my old buddy John Large. Uh, it's Gav, Gavin Norman edited it and did the layout. And uh, it was a collaboration with himself and Greg Gorgon Milk. I've played it. I could run it. But... Um, I just, I can't see it. It's not a great fit for my group. It's sitting there, and I think someone else would perhaps get a bit more enjoyment out of it. I'm going to see if I can sell it. If I can't sell it, well, uh, it'll stay. It'll stay, but, yeah, that's that. Then I picked up Dread. Uh, an RPG famously uses the um, Jenga Tower. To create a bit of drama, I started reading it, and yeah, it's just I don't know. I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm just not that infused. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I picked it out, picked it up. Probably paid a bit too much for it, and um, yeah, now I'm sort of stuck with it. I can't ever see myself playing it. It's going in the box. Then. We've got the PIP system by Eloy LaSanta. Now, I actually think the PIP system is all right. It's quite, um, it's quite an interesting little system. It, it lets you generate almost anything in, in terms of a character. It's like a generic role-playing system. You can do loads and loads with it. Um, and it's a, it's a really nice little book. In fact, you know, I would recommend it to people. If you've not seen it, perhaps check it out. But, 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 it's just a bit outside of my wheelhouse. And, you know, they say you can't teach an, an old dog new tricks. And whilst I normally push back against that, uh, in this case, Third Eye Games is a little bit of a bridge too far for me. I played it a little bit with my brother, Arfed. We played it a little bit, and he, 
he did make it work in fairness but it's just it's the, it's the old story you hear it again and again uh, so many games so little time and that takes us into bubble gumshoe it's a white whale game for me lovely lovely book there's loads going on but i've decided that um I mean, this is way nicer production than Kids on Bikes. And in terms of a book that you might want on your shelf, you would choose Bubblegum Shoe every time. I've actually played this one at a con, really enjoyed it. And it is such a nice book, but I'm not going to let that sway me. I've got Kids on Bikes, uh, which is such a breeze to read. It's quite intuitive. That's what I'm going to go with. I've got... 12 months to turn around a game of um, Kids on Bikes. That's my pledge to Jason Conley of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And Bubblegum Shoe um, is going to have to move on, I'm afraid. Then, Scenic Dunsmouth. It's a Lamentations of the Flame Princess product. And, yeah weird fantasy role playing it is indeed there's some interesting ideas in here but i can't get over the nastiness of it there's a psychopath in here that just makes my skin crawl um there's this interesting thing going on with playing cards and that um and i should probably give it another look but there's just not enough hours in the day it's going in the box. Simple as that. Talking of not enough hours in the day. A Red and Pleasant Land. Lovely, lovely book by um, uh, Zach Sabbath. Uh, it's just too wacky for my group. Just too wacky for my group. Lovely book sort of thing. Cloth bound. Super nice binding. Super nice production. I like the artwork and everything. But um, it's got this weird Alice in Wonderland vibe going on. Um, yeah, I, it, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what to say. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. And likewise, I'm a little bit of a loss for words about what to say about Broodmother Sky Fortress, another Lamentations product. And I say this all the time, you cannot fault the production of these books. I like the format. Um, they've always got some really strong ideas and strong content in there. But somehow, just it, they never get to the table for me. And I, I feel guilty almost for hanging on to them. And it's time to turn that around and uh, move it on move it on and then i've got this michael moore pergo book flamingo boy nothing to do with rpgs nice little book and that's just going to go in fill the box up um yeah so that's that another boxing up recording <laughs> And that, as they say, is a wrap. Big thanks goes out to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to Old Spike Pit. 
take care and I'll catch you later.